Good morning and welcome to episode 13 of Beekeeping at Five Apple Farm. This is Lee. Thank you so much for tuning in. It just makes my day to get your messages and emails that you're listening. Um, it really is thrilling to me. This morning is going to be more seat of the pants even than usual. I worked all weekend at the day job and also bee season's really cranking up here in Western North Carolina. So uh, I warned you that once the bees got going, I might be less faithful to the podcast. I'm trying to get you something every week. Um, so this week, I just want to talk about some questions that people have sent in and to give you an update on the season in my yard. I could start by saying, let me tell you about the mistakes I've been making lately. <laughs> and uh, luckily, it's not any terrible mistakes, but just like it's so common in beekeeping, um, my plan did not match up to the reality. I started doing some early splits because our weather uh, was nice and the splits have gone well. Everybody's looking good, um, starting to get queen returns, which is thrilling. To me, the most thrilling thing in beekeeping is uh, opening up and seeing a brand new, beautiful mated queen that's come back and started laying. So that's that part has gone well, but basically what I did in doing splits frame-based splits, like I talked about two episodes ago, is I broke down so many hives that I'm not really satisfied with any particular hive being my cell builder for a particular graft run of this queen that I'm very, very interested in. So I am coddling her in a little nuke box. I keep adding, um, adding uh, foundation and, and drawn comb for her to work on, and then I take out frames of capped brood to keep that nucleus colony happy and satisfied in the box. Sorry about Merkel barking in the background. It was kind of a relief to me to see on Facebook uh, one of my mentors posting the things, the mistakes he had made, <laughs> or he felt like he had made already. And to have someone so experienced as he is to say, wow, this is a learning experience every year. So that was nice. And so my plan is to get myself a little more organized. Um, this is an ongoing struggle for me because I just get so excited. You know, if I <laughs> if I see a, a good colony, I want to make more of them and I, I start splitting early. Um, so I'm going to pull myself together here and g get on more of a routine with my queens. I've also had my share of bad luck with UPS delivery. I had ordered a couple of queens from two breeders I was very interested in. Um, one are some virgin queens, and this will be the first time I've tried out uh, buying virgin queens, which are quite inexpensive, except for shipping, uh, and then you uh, mate them at your own place, and so they're immediately crossed with the genetics in your area, which is what I wanted to do. Um, my UPS overnight delivery turned into a three-and-a-half-day affair, but the virgins actually arrived and looked really good, so they are installed in, in little mating nukes. Um, then my other order of a, a queen line that I wanted to try out um, again, UPS overnight air. It's going on four days now, allegedly, uh, from the tracking update because of a weather delay where they're coming from. So I don't know if they'll arrive alive or not. UPS is frustrating because you can't insure them like you can with the post office. But at the same time, the post office is even more notorious for um, long delivery delays. I had that happen a couple of years ago with some queens I wanted to try out from Washington State. 
and they were so late in arriving I expected them to be dead but they were alive and I wasn't here so over the phone I had to instruct my non-beekeeping spouse of how to install the queen cages in the little nukes that I had set up and uh, they made a video and that was that was pretty funny but it worked and they did fine <laughs> So the first thing I wanted to talk about, this is mostly for the intermediate beekeepers, is preventing swarms after you've split. Uh, this came in as a question from a listener. And then the next thing is just a, a listener, a brand new beekeeper wrote and said, what is the advice you would give to your brand new beekeeper self? And I'll do that the second thing. And like I said, this is just not really even an episode. It's just some bee rambling. Um, so the first thing, preventing uh, swarms after splits. This is the most frustrating thing. Uh, if you make a split, you think you've prevented a swarm, and then lo and behold, one or both halves of the split swarm. You've got to keep in mind that the bees, if there's enough bees in that box and they get more than one queen that's hatched out, they're going to go, hey, we have a chance to make another colony, and they're going to go for it. This is one of the reasons that I switched to making um, splits, not you know, not using so much, um, well, not using at all the plain walkaway split because it's notorious for doing this. Um, but switch to the cut down split, which I'm so crazy about, and I've talked about on an earlier episode. The trick to that is that in the if you're in the two halves, you you each half does not have what it needs to swarm and I don't mean in terms of population because in terms of population each half does have enough but with the cut down split when you divide up the frames and in the the old spot the original spot of the hive you're going to leave the capped brood one frame of eggs that's what they're going to make the new queen from and then of course the forager bees are in that original spot so to me, that's a it's a great setup. They have the forager bees bringing in nectar and pollen, so you've got a lot of good stores coming in to feed just that one frame of brood, and so those queen cells that they make off that frame are going to be really well fed. Now, um, I like I've told you before, I tend to go in on day five after a split and cull the queen cells down. Um, this is if you do something like a walkway or an even split in my opinion this is a really it's a good safety measure um, you do have to pull the frames very carefully and yes there is the risk that a queen cell is going to be attached to another frame and that you'll that you'll pull it apart when you're looking in there on day five that is definitely the risk you take but usually they make more than one and you're going to have a good one that you don't hurt and you'll get better at this as, as time goes by also, if you've divided your hive up into several splits, then you're you're probably going to get you know more than one uh, returned queen from your cell. So you you can always recombine, and you're still going to come out ahead with a young queen. But the if you leave um, a big couple of boxes of bees, or even one big box of bees, and a bunch of swarm cells, you're going to have after swarms. I don't really like those, because if you catch them, which is great, if you're lucky, I'm not so lucky, mine tend to go high in the trees, but if you catch them, often they're headed by a virgin queen, which means she's going to have to go out and mate. So again, that little colony is rolling the dice on whether she's going to come back. Um, so I really prefer, if I can, 
to when I make splits to keep my bees in the box. Now you cannot always control this but one huge step you can take in controlling this is to go back in and cull the queen cells. Now if you happen to go into a hive uh, like a lucky club member um, in our club did the other day and find about 20 capped queen cells you have just hit the jackpot. Um, on the upside you've hit the jackpot. On the downside you're going to need to either cull those down, which I wouldn't want to do because those are the best case scenario, beautiful, fat, well-fed uh, swarm cells. I would divide those up into um, into either small, you know, splits, you know, each one with a queen cell and some nurse bees and uh, some stores because you're going to lose the flying bees when you move those. But um, anyway, the gist here is to prevent swarms after a split you want to get each split component down to just one or two queen cells. If if it's a big split component, like if you've got a couple of boxes of bees in your split and you leave two, you're going to run the risk of um, swarms. Since I've started using the the kind of controlled splits, the cut down split, and then what the uh, I learned on the from the British beekeepers, their uh, their artificial swarm, which they're fond of. Um, I've had very very little swarming. Um, I now don't get me wrong. The moment I say that, I'll look out there and there'll be one hanging from the trees. But it is drastically cut down on the number of swarms I lose from my yard. Now I don't consider swarming um, a really bad thing. I, I think it's healthy for the bees definitely to be split and a, a swarm is just nature's way of making a split. It creates a brood break, a time that whichever part of the swarm is going to have to requeen. It creates a time, a delay, so that all the brood hatches out. And what that means is that there's no hiding places for mites to be in there reproducing in the uh, capped brood cells. So it definitely, um, the, uh, the broodless period associated with a split or a swarm um, definitely helps knock back the mite population and that is an important tool uh, in, in my yard in particular. But for me, uncontrolled swarms are frustrating because just as you heard at the beginning of this podcast, I have a hard enough time uh, keeping my um my wishes on track with reality in terms of what I'm doing in the bee yard it's hard enough um even dealing with just myself uh and the calendar much less if the bees throw in some swarmings that definitely aren't on my calendar so it has been a great benefit to me to uh limit swarming and instead used control splits, which accomplishes the same thing, but I don't have to stop my day and run out and get a box and try to get somebody out of a tree, or worse, just watch them fly off over the mountain. Um, but I accomplished all the same things of a split. So beginners, hang with this. Just ignore this part, because we're getting to your part toward the latter uh, half. If you want the handouts, the drawing of how to do the cut down, please just email me, blueridge714 at gmail.com. Again, that's blueridge714 at gmail.com. And I would be so happy to send you the drawing of how to do it. I just love it. I've hardly run into anyone who's like, oh yeah, I use that split all the time. But it has become the most practical tool in my bee yard. Um, so I'm happy to share that.
Just a little background on it. Like I said in an earlier podcast, I found it uh, on Michael Bush's website under his split section, and he talks about the cut down. But he says that it's a technique used by comb honey producers, and so I ignored it. And then I went back one day and looked at it and went, wait a minute, this would achieve so many things that I'm trying to achieve, uh, even though I'm not doing any type of cut comb honey. And then later I figured out why it works is comb honey producers uh, have to get a bunch of bees in a very small space in order to get them to do the little um, the little round uh, sections of comb honey that you see sold. And uh, so they have to cram a bunch of bees in there without them swarming. And so that's how they developed this division of the components of the hive so that neither half has what they need to swarm, yet you can have a bunch of bees in each uh, part. So by all means, please email me if you're interested. I'm sorry to keep talking about it, but you know how when you have a favorite thing that solves so many problems (laughs) and you see your friends having these issues and you're like, look, look, here's this cool tool. And even though it sounds hard, once you've done it a few times, um, I've just found it works like a charm. So thanks for bearing with me on hearing yet again about my very favorite kind of... Oh, and that reminds me, there's one more favorite thing about it. Um, A listener from England, which was just, that was really fun to talk to a listener from England on the Facebook page, um, wrote and asked, uh, could the cut down be used once you've found queen cells in the hive? And absolutely yes. Um... The things to remember there would be with a ripe queen cell, you're going to get a queen back much quicker, which is good, but you do lose some of the benefits of the brood break uh, in terms of mite control, but that's no problem. If you've got a big, beautiful queen cell, and in that case, you would put the queen cell on the original spot, the same place that you would have put the eggs for them to make a queen cell. Okay, finally, beginners. You sweet people who are in the most difficult year, probably, um, well, that's maybe not true. There's going to be many difficult years in beekeeping. Maybe I should just say, just get used to it, because you're going to have to be tough to be a beekeeper. I, I know that sounds terrible to say, but it's true. The only difference, really, between the beekeepers who make it long term and those who don't are the ones who don't stop, because many times the ones who make it that are still beekeeping, you know, decades later... They have had probably all the bad things happen that uh, that drive some people out of it, but yet they just kept on. They tried to learn from their mistakes and go on. So maybe the first thing to say to beginners is that you will be much more at peace if you just let go of the idea that there is one true, perfect, right answer for any given scenario. There are always several potentially right answers, and which one is the best uh, can depend on a lot of things, but many of them may not be the best, but will get you through. (laughs) This is going to make sense in a while. You'll run into a situation, and you're like, oh no, what am I seeing in my hive? And maybe one of the advices I would give would be probably don't go onto Facebook and ask. Because you will get a lot of answers, but what I see in there is people who have absolutely no experience with your situation will gladly dive in and give you an answer that, if you don't know better, sounds like a good answer, but they don't have the experience and there's something critically missing to what they're saying because maybe they're just quoting a book and the information is correct, it's just not correct in your particular situation. So, of all the bad Facebook Well, of all the 
bad advice I've seen given in, in beekeeping. I think Facebook might be the worst. Um, so so be really careful with that on, on groups. And if you're getting an answer from somebody and you're thinking, okay, I think this is right, by all means, ask them, so how long have you been doing this with your bees? You know, really find out if they have um, had the experience to give you that answer. On some of the bee discussion groups uh, like beesource.com, the bulletin boards, the same thing does happen, but much less. It seems like there are many more uh, true beginners on Facebook and true beginners who are willing to leap in and give answers that are just not based in reality. And that's that's irritating to me. Um, and so, I don't know, just be real careful with, uh, with, with the replies you get on Facebook. Take them with lots of grains of salt. Ideally, um, you know, the best case scenario is if your mentor can help you. But also, anytime you see something, beginners, you know, do your research. Try to take the pieces that you've seen there in the hive and, you know, try to figure out what the context of what it was that you saw. Bees, okay, here's the thing that's important. Bees are always working in context, in a larger context, meaning they're trying to build up or they're trying to swarm or they're trying to manage a disease or, you know, they always have a larger context going on. It's never just a thing happening. Um, so the sooner that you can get your mind to always, when you run into something that you don't understand in the hive, Start looking around. Think of those cop shows that you've watched on TV where the forensic investigators arrive and they're like, okay, don't touch anything. Let's look around, you know, and let's take in the information before we, before we touch anything, before we move anything in the hive, before we make any decisions on what to do. Really gather that information. And especially when you're new, there, it's, it's really okay to put the hive back together go sit down and think a minute about what you saw and what you know. Uh, sometimes the split-second decisions, the good news is they get better the more time you have in beekeeping. Um, there's many things now that I run across and go, okay, I've seen this 10 times and I know an action to take. But believe me, there's still things that stump me out in the bee yard. But one of the most important things that I've found in solving those problems of all things is bee math. And I know that sounds strange, but especially for me, the absolute non-math person of the world, but uh, bee math in terms of, uh, you know, how many days uh, does an egg last? How many days before it becomes a larva? How many days before it's capped? Um, how many days before drone cells hatch out? It seems just like this mundane memorized knowledge and at first it is and I don't memorize things well so I have to you know write it down an index card or something but I'm amazed at how often that helps me in the yard and I'll give you an example um, when I, I've made a, a split and I've gone back in what I think would be enough time to see if that queen has come back and started to lay, that she's mated. But yet I go in there, I don't see any signs of a virgin queen, but then again, virgin queens are really hard to see. They're very fast and they're not very big. Um, I don't see any sign of a new brood nest. The bees are bringing in pollen, so it's like they think they're going to have some larvae to feed soon. Um... And then over in a corner, I find a capped queen cell. So I'm like, wait, wait, wait. 
and I go back and I use my B math to go, okay, you know, when I split these, you know, the, the queen cell would have been capped X amount of days. Um, so I don't understand why this queen cell is still here. And then I look around and I see that there's no capped worker brood left. So all the worker brood have hatched out. And that's a certain number of days. But I see that the drone cells have not completed hatching out. So that's a different number of days. So in looking at all that and spending a moment with B-Math in my head, I can still go, you know, this queen cell is either a dud or it's one they made after their original queen didn't come back, and so it's made with a really old larva, and it's likely to be a dud. So that led me to uh, make the decision to put a fresh frame of eggs from another hive, um, with the bees shaken off, into this split, so that they can start all over, because it, did, it looks like their first attempt at queen making didn't work. So putting the frame of eggs in, um, was in my to me the right thing to do it covers a lot of bases it also covers the base that if there's a virgin queen out there and this is something that I think beginners and not so beginners run into all the time you open up the hive and for whatever reason you find there's no open brood and there appears to be no queen about eight times out of ten they're in the process of making a new queen and there is a virgin queen eat somewhere in this picture and what that means is if you go to the bee store buy a mated queen go and put her in that virgin queen or the worker bees who are attached to their virgin queen already will kill that mated queen in a heartbeat and so you've just wasted thirty or forty dollars um, this happens I, I hear this happening all the time um, so this was a long way to say, <laughs> let me back up, uh, that B math, writing down those numbers. And I think Michael Bush on his website, uh, Bush Bees, actually has a page called B math. And if you just copy, print out that page and keep it somewhere in your B notebook um, to look at, because you will be surprised how many puzzles you can solve by just very carefully working backwards of what's still in the hive using BMath can give you a timetable of what has happened and many times that timetable will let you know what has happened which is half the battle in beekeeping opening up a hive and going hey what is happening here and what has happened here so on that there's no one right answer um, there's things ha always happen in context those are two important concepts I'm not even sure it's kind of like being a teenager. There's things that your parents tell you and you just don't have the life experience to understand that they're right. And then later you're in your 30s and you have to go back to your parents and go, you know, you told me that. <laughs> and I just didn't, I didn't know enough to understand the answer. And there are so many things like that in beekeeping that somebody may even tell you. You, you say, oh, here's my puzzler. And somebody tells you, blah, 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 blah. And, um, you don't know enough to understand the answer and you just have to be gentle with yourself um, this will happen over and over in your beekeeping now the on the other side I really want to encourage you to put some study into learning beekeeping if you're a beginner it does not have to be books but if you can watch videos you can talk and listen to experienced beekeepers you can go and just assist and hang out with experienced beekeepers in their yard watch what they're doing listen to what they're doing so it does not have to be reading if you're not a person you know that enjoys reading about bees um, if you are a person that enjoys reading about bees you're in luck because there's just so much good 
um, there, there are so many really good books. Uh, my friend Deborah has been pointing out all these good books um, as several in our club are uh, studying for the journeyman test. And there are just a bunch of good books out there. Um, so, you know, buy yourself one or two, look for them at the library, and just make yourself read them if you have to. And you will be amazed at how much this will benefit you as time goes by. A mistake that I see a lot of um, beginner beekeepers make is that while it is true there are probably many good answers to any particular beekeeping question or puzzler, magical thinking is not one of them. And so in a beehive it is a biological natural system. They have a set of rules and imperatives and prime directives that uh, no matter what we want to happen, if we are going against their biological imperative, it's usually us that's that's going to lose because they're going they're going the direction that the water's flowing, and that's what we want to learn is what direction are they trying to go, and then what am I wishing could happen, and can those two things happen at the same time? So what I see a lot is. Um, uh, beekeepers will, you know, ha they'll be learning about their bees and they see a behavior that the bees are doing and they'll say, oh, the bees are doing ABC. Well, they're not. Um, and later on, they'll later that week, they find that out. But anyway, I guess the message is, if you have an idea, I think my bees are doing A, then hold that lightly. Don't marry that idea yet. Um, hold that lightly. Try to think in your mind. Hmm, it looks like my bees are doing A. I'm going to watch and see if this is true. Um, and so not becoming attached to your first guess as to what's going on. <laughs> Ask me how I know this because a lot of times you can go, oh, I think they're doing A. And because you're so attached to that idea that that is what's going on, that's definitely what's going on, then you miss the signs that something totally different is going on. And so over time I found if um, even if I'm pretty sure they're doing A or B, I kind of just watch it and hold that and, and watch for um, signs. Now there's some things that timing won't allow you to wait and watch and you have to make a decision. And in those cases, you know, spend a minute thinking about it, maybe, you know, call a friend, uh, talk talk it through with them, think about it, and then make your decision knowing that you can only do the best you can do. Um, the more knowledge you have, the more knowledge you give yourself that you study, that you experience, the better decisions. Every time it improves your odds of making a better decision. And it's really that because there's there's no way to do every single thing right I mean, in life, uh, but definitely with bees. They'll teach you that for your life, um, that you can only do the best you can. But the more you uh, give yourself the experience and the knowledge to make good decisions, the more rewarded uh, you will be. I think the expression is, what is it, that luck favors the well-prepared? And there is no place more true than um, beekeeping for that saying. So beginners, as you go forward, um, perhaps the most important thing is to remember that live bees are the prime directive. You know, getting your bees through alive, learning everything that is going to help them thrive, and 
letting go of any of any ideas that we're just attached to or fond of the one that comes to mind is oh I'm not going to feed my bees because it's not natural that just kind of drives me crazy because we're doing unnatural things to the bees and having them boxes and uh, doing splits and all this kind of thing where we have to participate um, with the bees in their success I won't get on that soapbox now. But uh, thank you for listening today. This has been um, absolutely just a by-the-seat-of-the-pants ramble of talking to you about bees today. I hope I will get back to a little more prepared podcast soon. But at the same time, I promise myself, whatever I put out here, that's just okay. Um, Because if it's too horrible, you don't have to listen. Don't force yourself. But if you're getting anything good out of it, I am so glad that you are listening. I'm so glad that you are interested in bees and that you are that small percentage of beekeeper who is trying to learn more and what that lets me know is that among the listeners of not just this podcast but any bee cop podcast the the loyal listeners are a lot of them are going to be the people who make it and who are successful with their bees not because of anything I say here or because of any particular podcast or any particular book but it's because of you it's because of the motivation that you have and the dedication that you have to try to keep learning, um, to keep on even if things are hard or don't go well or you have to start over, um, but mainly to keep learning from every single thing that happens. So I am cheering you on and I'm impressed with you already just that you are the kind of person that is studying bees in one way or another. All right, you guys have a fabulous week. Um, I'll see if anything comes to mind uh, to do a bonus episode. Uh, I have a couple of days off in the middle of the week. And otherwise, I'll see you next weekend. If you have, well, here, I'll talk to you next weekend. Um, If you have any questions, please, uh, you're welcome to email me, blueridge714 at gmail.com. Or you can post them on the Facebook page, which is Five Apple Farm, Bees, Honey, and More. And I welcome hearing from you in any way. Have a wonderful week. Enjoy your bees. And hey, when you do write in, tell me where you are. It's so fascinating to hear where you are and tell me a little bit about your bees. It's really fun to hear about you guys. All right. Bye-bye. Thanks.